praise God. Man, I tell you, <laughs> I couldn't hardly stand it. I, it's like they were preaching the sermon before I ever got up here. Glory to God. Turn to someone, tell them you love them. You're glad to see them this morning. Thank you, praise and worship team. Thank you so much. I tell you what a blessing you are. I tell you, y'all are blessed here. Amen. Woo, glory to God. Thank you, man. Thank you. I tell you, the Lord is good. The songs, the exhortation, everything uh, that, that has gone forth already, man, it just leads right up into what we wanted to share with you today. And so, you know, the Holy Ghost, man, He'll just emphasize and re-emphasize and re-articulate so we get it, right? <laughs> that was awesome. I don't know if you guys know it or not, but I do travel extensively and have for 26 years. You're really blessed here with your music. I mean, seriously, you're blessed with your praise and worship team. Let's thank God for them. Let's thank God for them. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You know, sometimes I always sit, I, sometimes I sing before I preach because I have to, because the music was so bad, you know. But here you don't, praise God. <laughs> you got a beautiful, beautiful presence, I tell you. Thank you so much for all of that. Hey, listen, I want to talk to you this morning. Interestingly enough, uh, what I would entitle, a God's battle plan for victory. God's battle plan for victory. Now, we're not going to look at these two particular scriptures, but I'll mention them just in passing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, and also Romans 15 and 4, uh, just for your reference, uh, we're not looking at them, but both of those scriptures tell us that the Old Testament was written for our example that you and I can look at those Old Testament stories and we can gain some insight on how to fight our battles as a New Testament believer. Many times we can read those stories and we can uh, see some of the principles of God that we can implement in facing the situations that we face. So I want to look at one of the Old Testament stories this morning, once again talking to you about God's battle plan for victory. Uh, and we're going to look at Second Chronicles, uh, uh, chapter 20, the entire chapter, uh, we'll pick and choose verses, but primarily the entire uh, text so that we can get some really good uh, principles set forth, okay? So as you're preparing to turn to Second Chronicles 20, I'll give you just a little bit of history from Second Chronicles chapter 19. Now, in chapter 19, the uh, King Jehoshaphat, who was king of Judah, is rebuked by the prophet Jehu because he had aligned himself with King Ahab of Israel, who was wicked in the sight of God. And so he is rebuked. He, he accepts the correction. He begins to make amends there to realign himself with God, to set things in order in the land of Judah. And that's where we pick up here in verse 1 of Second Chronicles chapter 20, because you'll notice the text. It says, and it happened after this. After what? After he's realigned himself, made the adjustments, set things right in the land of Judah. Notice it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others beside the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. 
Now, now, sometimes, you know, in life, people will align themselves with God. What we mean is they begin to serve Him. Uh, they're in the family. They're doing what they know to do. Or maybe they realign themselves, which means maybe they've deviated for a season, but they've come back into the house of God. They're realigning themselves with God. And uh, only to find themselves uh, facing uh, an unexpected, perhaps, and difficult situation. That was the the uh, the the situation here. And so, you know, as we've already established on Friday night, uh, all of us face battles in life. Right? Remember, we looked at John sixteen thirty three. We looked at John ten ten, and we established the fact that uh, all of us are going to have challenges. Believer and unbeliever alike. Basically, why? Because this world, as we stated to you, is in a state of degeneration. It has the presence of Satan, sin, human will, and volition. Because the nature of Satan is that of a thief to steal, to kill, to destroy. Right? We looked at all of that. So sometimes people can align themselves with God, realign themselves with God. They're doing their best to walk in the light of what they know. And they can find themselves in difficult or precarious situations, maybe unexpected, and they ask the question, why? Well, because, friends, challenges are, are here. They're present. They're, there's going to be adversities, resistance, difficulties at times because of the fact that we live in a fallen world. And so here we are. Jehoshaphat is living life. He's serving God. And all of a sudden, a very unexpected situation occurs and is very intimidating. Look in verse 2. We see a few individuals come to him and they give him what you and I would term a bad report. Notice, then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you uh, from the sea from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is Angedi. So basically they come in and they say, Listen, a large army from Edom east of, east of the Dead Sea is in, has invaded our country. And not only have they invaded our country, but basically, sir, they're at our back door. They've already reached Angedi. So this is an unexpected situation. It's very intimidating. You know, sometimes people will come in life and they, they will communicate to us. They want us to understand exactly how bad the situation is. You know, they want us to understand. <laughs> the complexity of it all, and they're willing to explain it to us, and they may mean well, uh, but they want us to understand the severity of the situation. That would be like you and I maybe getting a bad report from a doctor, maybe something with your banker or your business or employer or job or your ministry or a family member. All of a sudden, you're living life, and up pops this situation, and basically, it's big and it's bad. Now, one of the main strategies of the enemy uh, in life is that the onset of the challenge or the adversity, uh, whatever the situation or conflict may be, he wants to use what I call the intimidation factor. I mean, he wants you and I to perceive that mountain as immovable, impossible, impassable, indestructible, all with the intention of what? Bringing fear. And see, I just love the way the Holy Ghost introduced this whole thing through the exhortations, through the music. All with the intention of bringing fear because quite naturally, when fear is present, faith is 
inoperable in many in many uh, situations and circumstances. So I always uh, uh, say it this way. <clears throat> Reaction can determine result. In the battles of life that I've faced personally and those of my family and friends and, and those in which we've been most successful, <laughs> we'll add that, is I've learned that my reaction to a situation can have tremendous impact on the outcome. And what I mean by that is if I respond to the situation in fear, then basically I open the door to the destruction and the loss that is associated with that attack. But if I respond in faith and confidence based upon the relationship that I know I have with God as His Son, based upon the covenant that I know we share, based upon the promises and the provisions of His Word, if I respond in confidence and in faith, then in one sense of the word, I sabotage the intended effects of that attack, right? So we say it this way, reaction determines result. Everybody say reaction determines result. So uh, initially, everyone say initially. We see that Jehoshaphat responded to the situation like many Christians do. He feared. Look in verse 3, the verse, uh, the very first sentence. And Jehoshaphat feared. Now we'll stop there. All of us, friends, can be tempted to fear when we are faced with unexpected and perhaps serious situations. We can all be tempted to fear, but being tempted to fear and sensing its initial impact upon our thoughts and upon our emotions is different than giving place to fear and allowing it to consume you, right? So, you know, we're told 365 times in the Bible, fear not. Now, that's one for every day. When God repeats Himself, I tend to pay attention When he says fear not, there's a reason because fear can be very, very destructive. So when the battles of life surface, whatever they may be, it's important that we resist the temptation to panic and to get into fear and anxiety and to begin to respond to a situation emotionally. Now, how many of you realize that fear, see, I love the Holy Ghost in that exhortation. How many of you know fear is a spirit? Now, I'm not talking about natural fear when you're standing on the edge of a cliff and, you know, everything in you is saying, be careful, be careful. That's preservational fear. <laughs> it's kind of what we would say natural in a sense. I'm talking about the type of fear that torments you. A fear that influences our decisions in life. A fear that keeps you up or wakes you up at night and causes you to question your sense of power and authority, your destiny, your health, your security. Are you listening? That type of fear is a spirit. And it has to be recognized and it has to be what? It has to be resisted. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Notice what, what Paul said by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
He said, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now we understand also that means an attitude or a, a, a predisposition of cowardness and insecurity, but also, once again, a spirit of fear. But he's given us what? He's given us power, he's given us love, and he's given us a sound mind. Now, have you ever noticed that the spirit of fear attempts to undermine the very three things that God has given us to conquer it? When fear comes, what's the first thing it does? It attempts to undermine your sense of power, your sense of authority, your sense of confidence in life or the situation. It wants you to cower down, to back off your assignment, to question your abilities. Are you listening? It attempts to undermine that sense of power. It attempts to undermine uh, your sense of God's love and care for you. And it also sits to uh, uh, attempts to undermine your sense of peace and well-being. So God said, I haven't given you fear. Fear's not of me. First of all, I've given you power. God said, hey, let me tell you something. I've given you three to the devil's one. God's always up on the devil. <laughs> he said, I've given you three to the devil's one. I've given you power. Luke ten nineteen. You know it. Behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So listen, if something's under your feet, it's not between your ears. Are you listening? Fear is under our feet and we have been given authority over the spirit of fear. We don't put up with fear as a believer. We are to live how? Fearless. We're masters over fear. And the way that you subdue fear is by recognizing its symptoms and shutting it down. Everybody say shutting it down. We have to examine, friends, what is motivating our actions and our reactions in life. What is motivating my actions? What is motivating my reactions? What is motivating my decisions in life? Are they faith-based or are they fear-based? If fear were not a factor, how would I be responding in this situation? We have to ask ourselves uh, these questions and analyze our thought processes because sometimes people are acting and reacting in life based upon fear and to them it has become normal life. They don't even realize that their decisions, their reactions, their responses in life are fear-based and, and, and it's completely abnormal to God's design. For righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the way we shut down fear is identifying its influence and, and shutting it down. So God says, I've given you power over fear. Then he said, I've given you what? Love. Now, I know there are several ways to look at this, but I think one of the, the key ways we could look at it is based upon First John uh, chapter 4. And verse 18, notice this particular verse. There is no fear in love. 
There is no fear in love. Why? Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. How many of you know fear is tormenting? And he said, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, we said there's several ways to look at it, but I think probably one of the most plausible is when it says there's no fear in love. What that means to me is when I have a revelation as a child of God of my Father's love for me, when I really understand the depth of that love, the nature of that love, the uh, the unendingness of that love, the care that is associated with that love. When I have a revelation of God's love for me, it dispels all fear. Why? Because I know He cares about me. First Peter 5, 7. Man, I love uh, the Amplified Bible. First Peter 5, 7. Notice what it says. Casting all your care upon Him. The Amplified Bible says, Casting the whole of your care, all of your concerns, all of your worries, all of your anxieties, once and for all over upon Him. Now notice why. Because He cares for you or about you affectionately and about you watchfully, (laughs) affectionately and watchfully. God said, hey, you're mine. I'm passionate in my love for you. I am protective in my love for you. And I am watchful in my love for you. So that's why it says there's no fear in love. He cares about us, affectionately cares about us, watchfully. Have you ever read uh, Hebrews chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 13, verses 5 through 6 in the Amplified Bible? Uh, it says, and I'll just read it to you in the Amplified. Uh, I know they're putting it up there in New King James, but that's fine. It says, for God himself has said, listen, I will not in any way fail you or give you up, or leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not, in any degree, fail you or let you down, or relax my hold upon you, assuredly not. Woo! Why? So that you may take confidence and courage and comfort and boldly and confidently say, The Lord's my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. God said, hey man, I've given you love. Right? And then he said, also, I have given you a sound and well-balanced mind. Now, have you ever noticed in every attack or situation or conflict of life, whatever it may be, whether it's physical, financial, relational, there is always a corresponding assault on your mind. Why? Because the devil knows if he can steal our peace, he gains a foothold. (laughs) Right? 
So he he's always attempting to infiltrate our minds to steal our peace. And in, And when there's a lack of peace in our lives, we're headed for trouble. Because when there's a lack of peace, it's going to influence, uh, 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 it's going to have an effect upon our mentality, our physical, physiological body. It's going to have an effect upon our relationships when there's no peace, right? It's going to have an effect on our ability uh, to hear from God and our sense of confidence. So, you know, as we said, fear can manipulate our thinking once again. It can cause us to respond and perceive situations and respond to situations improperly. So God said, hey, once again, I've given you three to the devil's one. I've given you power. I've given you love. I've given you a sound mind. So initially, Jehoshaphat feared. Now, you know, I've told you this story before, but my mother was 50 years old. And she began having pains behind her right eye. And her eye began to protrude. Obviously, we could see it. So she went to the doctor. And he said, you need to go in the hospital and run some tests. So they did. And, and when, when the doctor came back with the results of the test, my mother was in the hospital room alone. Because my father had gone to the cafeteria for breakfast. And we lived in different states at the time. And uh, so no one was there with her. Well, when the doctor came in and gave her the report, just like they came to Jehoshaphat, there's a large army. He came in and told her the facts. Said, Miss Blackwater, I'm sorry. We found a large tumor behind your right eye. Uh, it's a fast-growing tumor, this type of tumor. Uh, unfortunately, even if we remove it, it has the tendency to grow back. It's protruding into your brain right now. We need to remove it immediately. Uh, we're going to have to open your skull. Uh, because of the location of the tumor, you could have loss of sight, loss of memory, gross physical disfiguration, and, and uh, short-term memory loss, as well as a long protracted recovery period. My mother said when he spoke those words, see the bad report came? She said, honey, immediately this cloud of fear enveloped me. Now she's a sweet little Baptist woman, you know, and loves God. She said, but this, this cloud of fear enveloped me. And she said, in a moment, see, the devil will assist your imagination. I could see myself disfigured, blind, you know, all of these things he had told me. She said, but honey, all of a sudden, up out of my belly, rose these words, Oh, no, you don't. I will not fear in Jesus' name. And, and she said, the doctor said, excuse me? And she said, I wasn't talking to you. And she said, honey, when I spoke those words, immediately that fear melted like a snowball in hot sunshine. And she said, the peace of God came over me and I knew everything would be all right. And I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but I will tell you everything was all right. 20 years later, never came back. She was fine. Woo! Glory to God. But reaction can determine results. Are you listening? So initially Jehoshaphat feared, but then he made a very wise and productive choice. Notice verse 3. Let's finish it now. And he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now notice he, be, he, he set himself to seek the Lord, not casually, but seriously and earnestly. And friends, this is a very important point. 
because he got control of his emotions. He got that fear under control. And what did he do? He turned his attention away from the approaching army, right? And he began to put his attention on God and began to seek God for a solution. Now, that's a very important point. You want to get your attention off the problem. Because as long as the devil can keep you mentally engaged in the situation, he'll try to perpetuate that fear and uncertainty. But, you know, because our attention is quite naturally directly connected to our peace, our faith, our confidence, whatever we keep our minds on, we stay in contact with, right? So we said, hey, get your attention off that. When the devil says, hey, may I have your attention? Think about it. Look at it. Feel it. Talk to your neighbor and friend about it. It's so bad. Right? May I have your attention, please? <laughs> you got to put up the hand. Say, talk to the hand, buddy. You may not have my attention. Now, I can't stop the devil from talking, but I can certainly decide that what he's telling me is not worthy of my attention. So he got his attention off the problem, put it on Seeking God for the solution. And once again, this is a very important point because sometimes in our walk of faith, we're well taught, we understand the word. But we can have what I call mechanical responses to situations. Now, we should always respond with the word of God. We should always respond with the authority of Jesus' name and respond in the context of the victory he's given us. Yes. But we should also, friends, uh, seek the mind of Christ in situations. Get the wisdom of God. We have a helper. His name is the Holy Ghost. And He is here to help us. Sometimes we want everything to be in steps one, two, three, and it's not always that way. Right? So we need the mind of Christ. Every battle is unique. And so many times you have to have a different approach. So you tell God, I'm depending on you. I'm looking to you for guidance. And now I'm listening to your Holy Spirit for wisdom. Right? James chapter 1 and verse 5. Look what it says. If any of you lack wisdom, if you don't know what to do, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So there are times we have to wait on God long enough to get that wisdom. Are you listening? For instance, you know, uh, uh, Brother Hagen told the story how he had a woman in his fellowship when he pastored. She came down with breast cancer. They've ministered the word. They prayed the prayer of faith. And she's going down. There's not, there's no turn. Well, friends, if there's not a turn, see, healing is the recovery of the body. So there should be a turnaround in and start going in a different direction. If it's perpetual and it just keeps going down, well, we haven't made our connection, right? And we need to find out why. Lillian B. Yeoman said, if I pray and I do not receive, then I change. I change because if I pray and I do not receive, then a change must occur before the answer comes. And the change is not with God. It is obviously with me, right? So we said, man, she's going down. So we said, I got my prayer warriors from the church. We went over to her house and we fasted and prayed for three days around her bedside 
until. See, that's what he did. They saw all Judah begin to seek him and fasted until the Holy Ghost said to him, Go stand at the bottom of her bed. Point your finger at her and command the spirit of fear and death to come out of her. Now, remember we said to you, uh, I don't know when it was, but that sometimes uh, infirmity can be enforced by a spirit of infirmity, not always. And unless that's dealt with in the spirit, the prayer of faith alone may not be sufficient to get the job done. So you need the mind of Christ. So we went there and pointed his finger and said, I command the spirit of fear and death to come out of you. He said all of a sudden he saw this black thing that looked like a bat with red eyes rose up out of her chest and flew out the window. And he said, she rose up immediately healed and went out and ate watermelon with them. He said, everybody left the room. He's standing there. And that thing came back to the outside of the window seal, peeking in with the intention of returning. <clears throat> and he said, oh, no, you don't. You leave and never come back. See, now I'll tell you a funny story. This is my personal one. And I've got a lot of them, but we're talking about getting the mind of Christ. Now, I'm a relatively young man. About five to six years ago, I started waking up every day uh, with chronic joint pain. My knuckles, my knees, my legs. I would get up, and after I got out of bed and I'd get moving, it'd be better. But I'm like, you know, this is not normal for you know, for a young person. So, you know, I, I pray the prayer of faith. I receive my healing. Thank you, Jesus, right? And and I'm I'm believing that. Well, time progresses and I'm getting no better fast, right? So, what do I do? Keep beating my head against the wall trying to figure it out in my brain? <laughs> no. I took some time to wait on the Lord. And I said, now listen, I need some wisdom here. And as I waited before the Lord, that still small voice, and it's not always a voice or a vision. It, sometimes it could just be a knowing. You know how you can download data into a computer? Boom, and all of a sudden, you can pray in tongues for hours. Did you know that? And then boom, all of a sudden, you're, you're just illuminated, right? But I heard the still small voice, and you're going to laugh your head off. I'm telling you the God's truth. He said to me, you're drinking too much Dr. Pepper. Now, friends, I loved Dr. Pepper. I still do like it. But I drank it excessively. That was my drink of choice. I'm just telling you. And so when he said, you're drinking too much Dr. Pepper, I ran out into the kitchen and I said, honey, you're not going to believe what the Lord said. She said, what? I said, he said, I'm drinking too much Dr. Pepper. She said, well, I could have told you that. Well, I want you to know, I just decided, all right, I'm off of it. I'm, I quit. So I stopped Dr. Pepper and soft drinks in general. And I started drinking massive amounts of water. And I still do to this day. And God is my eternal witness. Within, I don't know, it's probably four or five weeks or so, all the pain that was in my joints. Now, I don't know what's in that stuff, but God knew it was affecting me negatively. I'm not doing a negative ad for soft drinks because I do like it. But, I'm telling you, I have no pain. None. And I haven't had for all these years afterwards. So are you following me? I wish I could tell you all the stories. My dad, man, he called me. 
three years ago, three and a half years ago, said, son, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, honey, I just went to the doctor a couple of weeks ago, got some tests. I got fourth stage melanoma cancer. They told me I've got four months to live. I said, well, daddy, now, now that's what they say. <laughs> we going to find out what the almighty says, right? So, you know, here came the bad report. Now, I've got to work within certain doctrinal paradigms where my dad's concerned because he's of his denominational background. But, you know, you can do that. So, I I wish, you know, I've got so much to say to you. But anyway, I, I just went to the Lord on my dad's behalf. All right, because he's of the idea that Kesarasara, whatever will be, will be God's time, so forth. Okay, so I I go to plead his case, and I told the Lord, I said, listen, I don't feel like it's Dad's time to go, even though he's elderly. I just don't feel like it's time. I said, first of all, Mom has told you all these years she wants to go first. That's right. She's told him that all these years. I'm not being left here. I've got to deal with God. I'm going first. I said, now you know she's told you that. And secondly, dad's got a lot to do yet. We've got to clear up some business. We need to get some things in order. And I need time. So I need your wisdom. Well, I what did I do? I did what Jehoshaphat did. I waited on God. Seriously. Patiently, and I, I, I and and I heard from him, and you know what he spoke to my spirit. God knows what you know and how to get messages to you. I heard those words in my spirit. Leave no stone unturned. That's all he said to me. Well, when he said leave no stone unturned, he knew I would know exactly what that meant, because ten years earlier I had heard a tape series by Vicki Jamison Peterson who had cancer, came down with cancer. She was a healing evangelist. And the Lord told her, leave no stone unturned. And she did this series on it, which meant we're going to fight it on three fronts. Spiritually, naturopathically, and medically. So when he said that, I knew exactly what we were going to do. Now, I knew intuitively by the Spirit, this is not for you, this was for my dad that my father was not to have chemotherapy. I knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt. No chemo or he will die. Because of his age, it would attack his organs. I just knew it. So I told him, I said, no chemotherapy, Daddy. I said, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to fight it spiritually, naturopathically, and medically. But we'll do autoimmune therapies with naturopathic care. So we implemented that, friends. That's been three and a half years ago. (laughs) Every time he went back, the scans... No, less and less cancer, less and less cancer. My mother, uh, passed on. He saw her over. Now he's 81 and he got remarried last year. <laughs> and he's doing great. Doing great. So, you know, God is good. I'm just saying, and your pastor teaches that, along with faith, let's get the mind to Christ because he knows, he knows what to do, right? I'm sorry to have taken so long there. Uh, but anyway, let's go on. Verse four through six. Got a lot more stories I could tell you. Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah. They came to what? Seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem. Now he doesn't always have to speak to you in that way. He could speak to you through a promise of God. 
through the word of God. You know what I'm saying, right? But they began to seek. Then Jehoshaphat, verse 5, stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Now notice he did not begin his prayer with, Oh God, what are we going to do? That's not appropriate protocol for answered prayer. Let me tell you something you'll never see. Never. When they interview boxers before a match, you'll never see them. Sir, how do you feel about the match? I don't know, man. I'm scared. I don't think I can do it. This guy's so big, man. I'm I'm intimidated. I'll do my best, but I don't know. You'll never hear that. If you do, just turn your television set off. It's all over. Right? What do they say? Even if they are scared inside, they say, hey, I'm going to take him down. I got this thing. Whoa, just watch me. See, that's the, that's the way we approach these situations. Why? The victor. Right? What we sang about this morning. God's on my side. He won the victor's crown. I'm in the family. Everything's going to be all right. So what does he do? He begins what? By magnifying God. Recalling to mind who God is, talking about His power, His dominion, His authority. And that's what you and I have to do when situations arise. Just start reminding yourself about what God has said concerning you and who He is. He said, hey, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. I will contend with those that contend with you. When your enemies come out against you one way, they will flee before you seven. Because you have made me, he said, the Lord your refuge, even the Most High your habitation, there shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague come nigh your dwelling. I'll give my angels charge over you. They will keep you in all of your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Because you've set your love upon me, he said, I will deliver you. I will be with you in trouble. I will set you on high because you've known my name. You will call upon me. I will answer you. Woo! I'll deliver you. Woo! I'll set you on high. Woo! With long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. Remind yourself. So verse 7, he goes on to say, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it, and they built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we'll stand before this temple in your presence, for your name is in this temple. How many of you know God's name is on this temple and in this temple? Absolutely. And cry to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now... Here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. And here they are, (laughs) rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you've given us to inherit. Oh God, will you not judge them? We have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Neither do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. 
Now all of Judah with their little ones and their wives and their children stood up before the Lord. Man, there's a lot going on in these verses, but very simply, what do we see him doing? First of all, he emphasizes covenant. Hey, are you not our God? Are we not your people? Hey, Father, you've got a personal interest here. We belong to you. And as a new covenant Christian, you need to remember that you're in covenant with Almighty God. You belong to Him and He belongs to you. And then He begins to rehearse what we call past victories. Are you listening? He begins to rehearse uh, past victories. He talks about the fact that, hey, remember when we came into this land? How you drove out all the inhabitants before us? And now here are the very people that you told us to leave alone are coming back to dispossess us from the land. What's he doing? Pleading his case. It's all right to talk to God and plead your case. He said, come, let us reason together. And let me tell you something, God's listening. All this time this conversation is going on, God's ears are open and He is paying attention. Can you say amen? So, verse 12 once again, Oh God, will you not judge them? We have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But now here's the phrase, but our eyes are upon you. And you know, friends, that's a good place to keep them. When you don't know what to do, you begin to seek God and just tell Him, look, I'm trusting you. My confidence is in you. And I am expecting to hear and to know what to do. My eyes are on you because you are limitless. So Jehoshaphat knew in and of themselves they were facing a hopeless situation. Right? But with God, all things are possible. So this is where we are in the story. They've received a bad report. Jehoshaphat steals his, his emotions. He gets that fear under control. He begins to reflect on the promises of God, on the person of God, the faithfulness of God, the great greatness of God. And then, of course, he sets himself to seek God and listen for his counsel. And then the Lord responds. Right? We're talking about God's battle plan. Principles we can implement. Now, verse 14, uh, uh, this little man named Jehaziel uh, gets up and begins to prophesy. Verse 15, let me read it to you. Listen, all you of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed. That's one thing God says all the time. The first thing he deals with, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, is God's. Now, maybe God's saying that to somebody in this room this morning. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. God's got this thing. Everything's going to be all right. And then he gives them instruction, verse 16, tomorrow go down against them. They'll surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Don't you love that? He said, now listen, you're not going to need to fight in this battle. It's not going to be by your natural abilities or your skillful warfare. We're going to handle this in a different realm. Set yourselves. 
Stand still. You know, sometimes I'm not an advocate of doing nothing, but sometimes we get all flustered in the natural and we start trying to do everything in the natural when we need to do our part, but we've got to let God do His. <laughs> right? So in verses 18 and 19, we won't read it, but they first of all, they begin to worship God. They all bow down and worship it. And then in 19, they stand up and begin to praise Him in a loud voice. And then verse 20, notice, they rose early in the morning. They went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you'll be established. Believe his prophets and you'll prosper. Basically, what he say? What does he say? Hey, believe in God and believe what he said. Right? And so here they go. Verse 21. I love this. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. And we're saying, praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now that's faith. Jehoshaphat puts the praise and worship team, kind of like we were talking about Friday night, but we're going to reemphasize today. He puts them out front. He consulted with them. They wanted to do it. They believed what God had spoken. And man, they start moving out in faith. Now, now what's interesting is these individuals had no natural weapons. No natural weapons. Here they are out in front of the army that's carrying the weaponry. And they have no natural weapons. All they have is the garment of praise. Oh, hallelujah. How many of you know that's powerful? <laughs> so when the battle comes, and once we have inquired of the Lord, and we know what He has promised and what He has declared, we position ourselves in a place of confidence. There's nothing else left to do but to rejoice and to praise Him. Now, I know Psalm 8 and verse 2 in this particular translation uh, says, Out of the mouth of, of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength. Some translation says that praise is the strength that stills the enemy. I mean, when we start praising God, I, I, I mean, it, it puts some confusion in the enemy's camp. Are you listening? So notice verse 22. When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. <laughs> now notice, it's when they began to sing and praise that the promise of the battle being the Lord's, and they're not needing to fight in that battle. That's when it came to pass, when they began to sing and praise. Now, we see this over and over in the Old Testament. It is a biblical principle. When Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, what was the punchline, man? When did all power break loose? When they began to shout and praise. The Midianites with Gideon, you remember? They broke those lanterns and gave a shout. I mean confusion in the enemy's camp. When Israel was fighting the Philistines... In 1 Samuel chapter 4, it says, man, when they, they gave such a loud shout that it shook the ground and the Philistines said, woe to us. <laughs> so here, man, they start praising God. 
Psalm 22, 3, as you well know, it says God inhabits or is enthroned on the praises of Israel. One translation says he inhabits. So God does inhabit the praises of his people. And when he comes on the scene, I'm telling you, man, things happen, right? He just does what he does best. Things begin to change. So when we start praising God from a sincere heart, it's like pulling a trigger. And you release a deluge of God's power into that situation. And he begins to do what he does best. Heal, deliver, redeem. Right? Ooh, glory to God. So watch what happens now. Verse 23. Have y'all ever read this whole story before? It is so fascinating. The people of Ammon Moab stood up. Now here's what happens. They start praising God. And man, look what happens in the enemy's camp. The people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they'd made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Dear Lord, people. <laughs> I don't know what God did, but He put some mojo on them. I mean, the Ammonites and the Moabites gang up on the inhabitants of Mount Seir. And then when they wiped all of them out, they turn on each other. Good gracious. That means there had to be two men standing last and they gave it to each other. Good gracious. I mean, do you understand the magnitude of this? And what I want us to realize this morning is, listen, King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah had no visual on what was happening. No visual. They're moving out in faith. They're, this army, this vast army, is on the other side of the mountain range. They cannot see them. All they know is God said to praise. And they started praising Him over here with no visual on exactly what was going on. And when they got over that mountain ridge, look what they saw. Verse 24, when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude and there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. <laughs> I'm telling you, when God does something, He does it right. He finishes the job. He does it completely. And sometimes He does it in a way that is completely unexplainable in the natural, beyond human ability, so no man can take credit for it. Praise God. So this morning, I believe God doesn't want to just give us enough victory. He wants to give us overflowing victory. And that's what He did for them. Uh, verse 25, notice, not only did it destroy the enemy, but then watch. Verse 25, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. <laughs> they thought they were coming to spend spend a while. They brought all the cattle and the jewelry and everything. And God said, bring it on. Bring it all because I'm going to give it to my people. <laughs> So what do we see here? Wrapping this thing up. There were three nations that came against Judah. The odds were against them. Their only hope was in God. They looked 
to Him. They believed in Him. They listened for His counsel. They obeyed what He told them to do. And what did they do? They praised Him. And as a result, God helped them. God delivered them. And He supplied them with an amazing spoil. It took them three days to gather it all up. And as we close that chapter, you see all of Judah standing in awe, all the nations round about Judah standing in awe of the God of Israel. So this morning, listen, I just wanted to uh, confirm what the Holy Ghost had already started in the praise and worship and, and talking about the victor's crown. God's battle plan for victory. There's always a way out. I'm convinced of that. There's always a way through. And God is the way. This morning as we close this service, I want to kind of close it like we started it, but just in a little different fashion. On Friday night, we talked about the power of praise and how God had, uh, you know, delivered Paul and Silas from those chains in prison as they begin to praise. Uh, but, and, and we lifted our voices and thanked Him, but today I want us to live, I want us to give a shout of praise. I'm talking about get loud. Let's just scare every devil in Warrington. What do you say about it? Let's just make the battle cry. Let's let the devil know we mean mean business. Are you listening? (laughs) I'm already happy because I know some things are coming into fruition. Some of y'all already laid hold of it this morning in that praise and worship and exhortation time. Everybody stand up. Now listen, you don't even have to have hands laid on you or anybody to pray for you. All you have to do this morning is in faith, begin to praise God from your heart. I mean on the count of three. I'm going to give us a count of three. And on the count of three, I mean I want you to give a shout. You say, well, I'm not real comfortable with shouting. Well, listen, nobody's going to be listening to you. We're all going to be shouting, right? And I want us to raise the roof. Are you ready? We're going to make a sound in the realm of the Spirit. (laughs) Glory to God. Whoa, we're going to praise some things into manifestation. i got something right now in my own life. I'm going to praise God for the answer. Amen. Because He is able. Are you ready? One, two, three. Come on. Somebody shout in here. We give you praise, Father. Oh, yeah. We thank you, Lord. Give me a little reverb. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, yeah. (laughs) How many of you believe it this morning? I tell you what, I believe it. Oh, praise God. Listen, I believe we're at, just like we said on Friday night, we're going to see some results of this, things turning around. I tell you what, I believe God had us orchestrate these services with certain words. And I mean, the whole service today was orchestrated. I'm expecting some good testimonies. Amen. Pastor, I'm going to turn it back to you. Praise God. We love you. Always love coming be. Let's shout one more time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah.